Let me invite you as we prepare uh, to enter into God's Word this morning to turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to look at uh, a couple places in the first few chapters and then later in the book of Mark. But Ruth uh, is near the front of your Bibles. You've got Joshua, you've got Judges, and then this little book of Ruth. For those who weren't here together with us last week, we shared that we're taking these next two months between now and Thanksgiving to discover together what we feel are the core values of our church community at JCC. And last week I shared that, that we've been spending a good portion of this year uh, thinking about our mission. Where is God leading us? What does God desire for us to do and to be together as a church? And before we can, we can think about what that mission is, is meant to be or where we're meant to go, we need to identify these core values. And I, and I think about them like an anchor, right? The, the core values are those things about who we are that must not change. As we pursue where God's leading us, as we move in mission, move forward, these core values remind us of, of who we are. They keep our, our mission from drifting off course. And so the, the first of these four core values we spoke about, we, we looked at last week, and we're going to look at this same value again today, is the value of belonging. And we passed out uh, these, these sort of note cards for small groups, or really for any of you to take back as a reflection guide. I think there are still some uh, left this week, if you didn't get one or you'd like one, let us know. We can email it to you or, or mail one off. Um, but there's a, there's a lot here just to sort of follow up and, and to unpack um, good reflection questions there. But this is how we are trying to define what it means to value belonging as a church. You can write this out if you didn't get a chance to write it down last week. We said that we value belonging to God, our Father, and the family He creates and calls together. This means we welcome and care for each part of the diverse intergenerational body He is building. And notice in that statement about belonging, we're saying that belonging is, is all about our identity as God's people. Right? It's, it's an attribute we receive from our God and Father. Family is what He creates and calls together. And so last week we, we took some time to look at the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 32. We looked at Psalm 36. And we considered how God has actively chosen us, chosen a people to belong to Himself. We talked about how God has made space for us at his table, right? To come and, and be with him, to, to eat with him, to know him. And so I would remind you that until we know what it's like to be and, and to belong in the presence of the God who made us in creation, the God who knows us and speaks to us through scripture, the God who saves us in the person of his son, Christ Jesus, until we know the God who loves us, until we know that person, the triune God, 
we cannot truly belong. Right? A, a knowledge of God is, is a prerequisite for belonging. As St. Augustine once said, we've been made for God. And so our hearts will remain restless until we find our rest in him, until we return to that space of belonging to him. And so last week, we really focused on this idea of what it means to belong firstly to God. This week, I want to shift our focus a little bit. Because belonging is something we receive from God as a gift. But belonging is not only about us. Belonging isn't just a, a warm, fuzzy feeling that we get. Belonging is not just about what, what we need or what we desire or what we long for. The experience of belonging is also meant to change us and to grow us and to mature us into a, a whole family that's on mission with God. And so there's, there's kind of an outward call in this value to belong as well. I just started into a wonderful book by Mark and Lisa Scandrett. And the, the name of the book is Belonging and Becoming. And in, in the book, they talk about what it, what it looks like to cultivate a thriving family culture. And when they speak about a family culture, they're not limiting that definition to, to a nuclear household. They're, they're talking about anyone who is intentionally sharing their lives together as a community. Here's how they, dis they, they describe, how they define what it looks like to be a thriving family. Say a thriving family is a place of belonging and becoming, where each person feels safe, cared for, and loved. That's a lot of what we spoke about last week, that sense of, of the gift of what it means to belong, the safety, the welcome of belonging. But then in the back half of this definition, they talk about becoming. Where each person feels safe, cared for, and loved, and is supported to develop who they are for the good of the world. There's that, that Genesis 12 idea of, of being agents of blessing. Right? We're meant to belong so that we might become God's agents of blessing to the world. This morning, as, as we are feasting at God's table, as we come to the word of God together to receive from him today, I want you to notice who's sitting next to you at this feast. Who's in the pew beside you or behind you or in front of you? I want us to think about, are we longing to belong to them as well? Are we longing and, and, and growing and becoming a hospitable family it's praying for God to make us that instrument of blessing to the world. So together I want to return this morning to the Bible's vision of belonging, opening to the book of Ruth. And I want the word of God to encourage us and challenge us in this way. Let me pray for us as we do that. Lord Jesus, it is in you that we belong. It is because of your saving love, your death on a cross, that we have space to be in Christ Jesus today. 
and to be known as sons and daughters who can cry out to our Abba, Father. But with the full appreciation and recognition of that gift, may we come to your word asking what you would have us do, who you would have us be as your children together. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. May they be moved, may they come to life, may they lead to actions that please you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Let me invite you, if you brought your scripture journals, to, to open those up this morning. And I'm going to highlight, we're going to move through several uh, short passages. I'll highlight in yellow some text uh, that I'd love for you to really focus on and copy out. There's probably going to be too much for, for you to copy everything. But if you can target those passages today, that would be great. I want to turn to the book of Ruth, starting in chapter 1. And I'm, I'm keen one of these days to preach through the entirety of, of this book with you. Because there's so much about uh, the redemptive power of God, the character of God, the promises of God in the book of Ruth. But today we're, we're going to have to, to be satisfied with just a sort of a few appetizers from that feast. And just in case you're, you're fuzzy on the details or the backstory of the book of Ruth... Ruth is a book that starts with loss and tragedy. In Ruth chapter 1, we're introduced to Naomi. Naomi is an Israelite woman who leaves her home in Israel along with her husband and her two sons. And they leave because of a famine in Israel. And they go eastward across the Dead Sea and they settle in Moab as refugees looking for a place to belong. Only when they arrive in Moab, things go from bad to worse for this family. First, Naomi's husband dies, and then both of her sons die as well. So that eventually Naomi has almost nothing left in the way of family or possessions. She's far from her home. She has nowhere to belong. And the last person sort of left standing in Naomi's life is her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And remember, Ruth has just been newly widowed as well. Her husband has just died. Ruth is a, a Moabite woman. She's, she's from the land Naomi is living in. And so Naomi is, is sort of burdened with this sense of loss and grief. She feels like she's almost a woman afflicted or, or cursed. And so Naomi urges her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to, to leave her, to go away, to go back into Moab somewhere and, and find family or relatives of her, home, her own who, who could take her in and provide for her. But I want to start this morning by listening to the way Ruth responds to Naomi's request for her to go. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. If you want to zero in there on that last bit of 16, you can copy that out. 
Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you, Naomi. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to leave. That last bit in verse 18 always makes me chuckle. Right? Ruth is, is determined. She freely speaks her mind. So she says, I'm not going anywhere, Naomi. I think Ruth is teaching us something critical about what it means to value belonging in this passage. Let me paraphrase what I hear Ruth saying to Naomi. Ruth says, I need a place to belong. And I know you also need a place to belong. So I am going to choose to belong with you. I'm going to choose to belong with you. Wherever your life takes you, I will go there too. And the God that you belong to, I am going to choose to belong to him as well. I think what Ruth recognizes in this text about belonging is that it's a choice. Belonging is in many ways a choice we make. And in the first instance, Ruth recognizes she's, she's brave enough, she's wise enough to admit that she cannot belong to herself. Belonging is not something you can do as one person. Right? Belonging requires relationship. Belonging requires the recognition that I'm not enough in and of myself experience the belonging I know I need. She knows she can't fill that need on her own. But secondly, Ruth sees that belonging isn't accidental. Belonging is intentional. Belonging requires resolve. Belonging requires the resolve to be with somebody else. And here's how I would, would think about that being with someone else. Belonging is the commitment to keep showing up in someone's life and to make space for them to show up in yours. Belonging is a commitment to keep showing up in someone's life and to make space for them to show up in yours. So I want to, to initially ask you, I'd encourage you to write this down as, as a question to reflect on this week, to pray on this week, to journal about this week. Who are you actively choosing to belong with? I'm not, I'm not here describing just sort of who you accidentally belong to by way of marriage or 
or bloodline or, or whatever. Who are you choosing? Who are you making the choice to join your life together with? To keep showing up to and making space for them to show up in your life. And as you think about that, what, what evidence is there that you belong with that person? What evidence is there that you're making space in your life to value that belonging together? So Ruth chooses to belong. She, she illustrates what it looks like to make that choice. And so at Ruth's insistence, we're told that Ruth and Naomi travel back to Naomi's ancestral home. They go back across the Dead Sea into the land of Israel to a small village called Bethlehem. And they arrive in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest is beginning. And of course, Ruth and Naomi, they've, they've left where they were from. They have, they're both widowed. They have virtually no possessions. And so they need something to eat. They need to be fed. So we're told in, in uh, the beginning of chapter 2 that Ruth goes out into one of the fields in Bethlehem. And she begins to, to glean bits of the barley that are left behind by the harvesters. This was actually a, a practice that Israel was commanded to do by God so that there would be food for those who were hungry and who had no land of their own. And so Ruth goes out into this field and she, she happens into the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz notices this unfamiliar woman, this stranger in his fields. And in verse 5 of chapter 2, he asks one of the, the foremen, chief field hand, who does that young woman belong to? Again, notice the language he uses here. Who does she belong to? And of course, if, if Boaz had been around back in chapter 1, he'd already know the answer to that question. right? Because Ruth has made it explicit who she belongs to. She belongs to Naomi, and she belongs to the God Naomi worships. But since Boaz wasn't there in chapter 1 when she made that confession, he gets the, the lowdown from his field hand here in chapter 2. And the field hand tells him that that Ruth is a Moabitess, she's a foreigner, she's, she's come into the land with Naomi. And they've only just returned, they've just come to settle in this village. Notice in chapter 2, in the verses following verse 5, what Boaz does in response. Boaz goes out into the field, and he basically says to Ruth, you can belong here. You can glean in my fields and my servants will look after you. Ruth and Naomi come looking for belonging and Boaz here offers them a place, a space, people to belong with. And we'll look at verses 10, 11, and 12 with you you want to copy out that last part of 12 when we get to it. Look at how Ruth responds, verse 10. 
at this, at this gesture of kindness, we're told, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked Boaz, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've been told how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And I love this line at the end of 12. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We've looked at the resolve, the sacrifice, the choice that Ruth makes to belong with Naomi and to belong to Naomi's God. In these three verses, I want to look at what Boaz has to show us about the value of belonging. And the first thing I think the text tells us about Boaz is back in in verse 5 and then here again in verse 10. Boaz has eyes to see those looking for a place to belong. Back in verse 5, which we looked at a second ago, he notices Ruth right out there in the field and he asks about her. Who does she belong to? Where does she belong We want to practice the value of belonging at JCC. I think one of the things we need to ask God for are eyes to see. Eyes to notice those on the edges of our fields. Eyes to see those who are looking for a place to belong with us. Again, I think it's important that we make these values lived and practical, that we do something with them. And so last week I challenged you to think about a meal that you love to to share in, a meal that causes you to feel like you belong. Maybe it's a a pot of marinara sauce. Maybe it's a, you know, a Scandinavian meatball dish. Maybe it's chicken pie supper. Maybe it's, it's something that that not many people have tasted. I don't know. But whatever that meal is, then I, I challenge you to think about sometime this month where you can make that meal, but that you could be prayerful about who might share in that meal of belonging with you. It might be somebody who's new here in our church family. Maybe it's somebody you already know in another context, at work or, or in another relationship. And whose circumstances right now are such that they need a place to belong. A people to belong with. Who is God prompting you to notice? As an outsider in the the village of Bethlehem, I'm sure 
that Ruth expected to be noticed, but she probably expected to be noticed in a way that she stood out, that she was separated from the village itself. What she did not expect to meet was the kind of favor that Boaz offers her. And in verse 10 here, she asks him, why in the world would you show this kind of a favor and hospitality to a foreigner? And Boaz gives his answer in verses 11 and 12. Boaz explains that when God calls people to belong to him, he's not restricted by ethnicity. He's not restricted by borders. God's not restricted by bloodlines. In verse 11, Boaz does not see, Boaz does not describe Ruth as an outsider. Instead, what does he say about her? Boaz notices that she is a human being who has made incredible, gigantic sacrifices in order to belong somewhere new. And so he praises her courage. He praises her, her servant's heart to bless Naomi. And so then in verse 12, he prays that the Lord might bless her in turn. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Where does Boaz learn that kind of empathy? Where does, where does Boaz learn that kind of hospitality? Why, why does Boaz act in this way, is Ruth's question in verse 10. And I think it's because he's learned those things in the practice, in the experience of belonging to his God. Boaz knows what it is to, to take refuge in and under the wings of Yahweh. This summer, I, I took a, a class, seminary class online, and the whole class was focused on how the Bible speaks about families. And our teacher, our professor, Mark Glanville, said, if you study scripture closely, especially the Old Testament, he says, you'll find that the people of Israel are not defined there as an ethnic group, so much as a people who shelter under God's wings. If we want to talk about who is Israel, it's, it's the people God chooses to save. It's the people who come rushing under God's protective care and love to belong to him. That's the basis for family. So the teacher of that course called this a, a biblical attitude of kinship. To find our family under the wings of Yahweh. When we spend time there, when we know what it is to belong to God, when we know what it is to be persons who belong in Christ Jesus. We spent that whole section this spring thinking about what it means to be in Christ, to have our identity there. The more we grow into that place of belonging with God, the more we begin to notice those who are sheltered next to us, who belong beside us. We find a new kind of family. So I want to finish our time this morning with one last piece of scripture. 
And this one moves us into the New Testament, where we'll be for the next few weeks as we move on to our next value of following Jesus in discipleship. But this one bridges, I think, that idea of belonging and following. And it it speaks specifically in chapter 10 of Mark's gospel about how we think of our family. Who do we belong with? In the context of this, this bit in Mark 10, is just after a rich man has encountered Jesus. And Jesus challenges the rich man to come and belong to him, to be his disciple. But the rich man cannot leave behind his possessions. We might say the man was possessed by his possessions. And so the rich man is walking away. And as the rich man walks away, Peter, the disciple of Jesus, says... To Jesus, he speaks up and he says in verse 28, Jesus, what about us? We've left everything to follow you. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, they will receive eternal life. Who do we belong with? Just like Ruth has left behind her family, left behind her homeland to be with Naomi and to belong to her God, Peter here says that that he also and, and his disciple companions, they have left everything behind to belong to Jesus. Homes, families, Friendships, fishing nets, fields. As we begin to follow Jesus, Jesus has the authority to ask us to leave behind, to lay down things that belong to us. And as we move into talking about following Jesus in a life of discipleship next week, We'll talk about how Jesus can uproot us from from the good things that that make us feel comfortable and that we love and that we treasure. But he calls us at times to leave behind good things so that we can belong to him. We can worship the best thing. Following Jesus, according to this passage, is costly. We leave things behind in order to do it. But in verses 29 and 30, Jesus promises that in exchange for all we leave behind, he will return to us a hundred times as much. And he says specifically a hundred times as much in the way of homes, in the way of families, in the way of fields. In this life, 
a hundred times as much. And I think the question I ask, the question I ask many times when I read this passage is, is how is that possible? Are we sure that, that Mark got this bit right? Yeah, we know maybe a hundred times as much in the life to come, sure. In, in the age to come, in, in the heavenly realms, God will return these things to us. But Jesus promises we will receive these in an abundance now when we leave them behind. And if we look at the witness of the rest of the New Testament, if you look at the life of Peter and the other disciples, we know they didn't become real estate magnets. They didn't, they didn't purchase a hundred households, you know, had summer homes and vacation homes across the Roman Empire. How does Jesus fulfill this promise? Well, we do know that as the gospel moved them forward in mission, as their lives became intertwined with those brothers and sisters who did the will of God, as Jesus said in Mark 3, which was the, the children's sermon this morning, as they began to follow God in mission, their family grew exponentially. The Spirit of God multiplied the number of households they belonged to and were welcomed at. The Spirit multiplied the number of tables they were invited to eat around. Tables both of Jew and Gentile all over the known world. If you read the book of Acts alone, you could easily say that the family and the fields and the homes that these disciples belonged to is beyond a hundred times greater than what they left behind. When we follow Jesus, when we belong to him, our family expands as well. I think one of JCC's greatest assets, one of the things we value most here is the experience of being a family. And there are many families here, biological families, families joined in marriage to one another that, that span two or three or four generations in one pew. And these are families that are serious about following Jesus together. But I think the word of Jesus here would challenge us and would ask us, how does our sense of family stretch to include this promise in Mark 10? How do these biological families and nuclear families, how do they stretch to include a hundred times as much in this present age? How do we count as family those who have just arrived from other places? How do we count as family those who are single? How do we count as family those who have painful backgrounds with their own families? How do we count as family those who are searching? How do we hurt, how do we welcome those who have been hurt by other church families? How do we value belonging together? That's the question I would leave you with this morning. How do we value belonging together? I want to invite Karen to come up and as we prepare to receive the offering, let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see. 
give us tables that have space around them. Give us people to belong to and with and nudge us toward those who are searching for that same thing. And in all of that, may we be aware that we take shelter in you, that we find our place in you, Christ Jesus. Amen.